Welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. We are uh, continuing our summer series this morning. We've been in it for several weeks already. Those of you who have kind of been with us through the whole of the summer or have been catching up online, you already know where we're at and kind of what we're doing. But our summer series is entitled, This Is My Story. Uh, And we've been having uh, opportunities to hear some of the different testimonies and stories from some of our leadership. We've also been talking about the importance of story, the way that God uses story in Scripture to help us to understand who He is and to frame our expectations about how He could move in our life, Uh, the way that Jesus used story to help us understand spiritual concepts and principles in a practical way where we could kind of see them lived out around us. A couple weeks ago, we, we talked about authorship of our story and that the way that the Lord wants to be the one who actually pens a fruitful and abundant life for you and the importance of making sure that he has the primary voice and pen for that instead of trying to write your own story. Uh, we usually mess up a chapter when we do that or when we give the pen away to somebody else and allow the wrong voices and things to begin to shape our life. And so we've been considering all of those things. And this morning, what I want to do is I want to talk to you about the way that a storyline is immediately disrupted or changed. And one of the simplest and most dramatic ways to interrupt a story and to send it careening off into one direction or another is by inserting a word suddenly. Like when you're writing a paragraph and then you use suddenly to start your next sentence, typically that's that's gonna align it into a direction, it's gonna go somewhere. And oftentimes when you bump into that in kind of literature, suddenly or all of a sudden or anything that would kind of frame itself in that way that the unexpected takes place, Usually it's going to be one of two storylines that diverge at that point. One is maybe there's a calamity that's about to happen, right? Suddenly there's a storm, suddenly there's a loss, suddenly there's a hardship, and your story has a lot of those. Suddenlies that were negative, suddenlies that were things that set you back, suddenlies that were profound offenses or woundings or hurts or losses, suddenlies that were waves and waves of grief. And then the other thing that happens when you have a suddenly is it kind of careens the story off into a storyline that's moving more towards like triumph and success and maybe victory, right? That suddenly like a runner or an athlete gets their second wind, right? Suddenly, Rocky starts to get up off of the mat. For those of you who like the Rockies, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I don't know how many there are. There's a lot of them, though. Suddenly, there's something that was lost that ends up being found, or suddenly, there is aid being rendered or resource that is rediscovered, that suddenly, there's kind of this windfall, and the story moves in a different direction towards a resolution and a triumph. And a victory. And what I want you to do for just a moment before we go on is I want you to think about the suddenlies of your own personal story. Some of those could be suddenly, and it moves you backwards. Suddenly there's a relapse. Suddenly there's an accident. Suddenly there's a loss. 
Suddenly there's papers served. Suddenly there's a diagnosis. Suddenly there's a natural disaster or event. Suddenly you become aware of something you weren't previously aware of. Like those suddenlies. Or maybe to think about a suddenly that goes in the other direction. Right? Suddenly she gives you her phone number. Right? Maybe that sends you in a different direction. Suddenly there's a promotion. Suddenly there's news that you're going to be a parent. Like suddenlies. I want you to think about those. I graduated from high school at 17 years of age. Uh, There was only one other student in my class who was younger than me by about eight days. So I was pretty young when I graduated high school and walked across the stage and received my diploma and was suddenly lost. I I was just lost. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know how I was going to get there, but it didn't matter. I didn't know where I was going, and I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. And any inquiry from individuals who would say, hey, what are you going to be when you grow up was kind of the time. I was lost. Not just in kind of direction or career, what do I want to do for a job, but I was lost inside. I'd grown up in church. I had given my life the last several years to ministry. I was fully involved in our youth group. I was a part of so many things. And then I graduated, and it was like I had walked through a passageway that I wasn't allowed to go back through. My community and my friendships and everything that I knew up to that point that had been part of my spiritual formation, it seemed like those things were lost. And, And really, they weren't, but it's how it was felt and how I was navigating the change of season in my life. And I didn't know how to do that, and I wasn't doing it very well. And, and nobody really around me would have recognized that I was lost because I hadn't gone anywhere. I didn't go away to school. My day-to-day didn't really change. Some of my roles or responsibilities or some of the community around me had changed, but inside I was deeply, deeply lost. I was hurt. I was frustrated. And for the next year, I found myself living different storylines simultaneously. See, there was Church Ben. I was playing bass for the worship team. I was leading worship for Children's Church. Me and a group of my friends, we had a full-on church band, and we did live music for Kids Church every Sunday. I was serving everywhere that I could and knew how to. I loved Jesus but I was also feeling like I didn't have a place or a home in the church that I had grown up in because I had graduated out of some opportunities. And at the same time, there was college, Ben. I was taking college classes at the uh, community college back home. I was wise enough to not go away to school. That probably would have made my story much more tragic. So I did stay close to home, and I was just going to college, and I was just grinding out classes had no declared major. I was just taking required classes that fit into like a liberal arts type of a degree. And I did make sure that when I walked out of that school two years later that I walked with my AA in liberal arts, which just basically says, you got a degree for doing something, but it's nondescript. You don't know what you're going to do. And we don't know what this degree is for. So we were just all on the same page. But that was college, Ben. 
And during that time, there was lost Ben, who, who didn't know who he was and didn't know where he was going. It was an, an existential problem with my identity. And again, on the outside, nothing would have looked too off course, except for those who were closest to me in some of the ways that I was leaning away from the Lord. And I began to lean into activity that wasn't healthy or helpful for my heart or mind, body, or soul. And without belaboring the details, because they're really not that important, lost Ben was part of my story. And I was attempting to follow Jesus with all of my heart, and I was genuinely lost in all of my person, and I needed a suddenly. I needed something to speak into my story that was going to change it, because I had simultaneous divergent storylines that were running, and I didn't know who I was going to be. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and get it out. Lord, we ask that you give us soft hearts to hear from your word today to see examples in others that we can apply to ourselves. And Lord, may we be encouraged that you're never really lost if somebody knows where you are, and you always know where we are. And so Lord, even in those places where we feel the most disillusioned and overlooked, even the places that we feel the most marginalized, the places where we have forgotten or have never known, like really who we are, we are known by you, and you know where we are, and you're making your way towards us. We thank you for that truth in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be looking at um, a man named Saul. You would better know him as the Apostle Paul. So he had a couple different handles that he went by for a few different reasons. But when you come along Saul in the New Testament, when you bump into him, what you find is you find a man who looked like he had it all together, and he thought that he had it all together, who was actually really lost. By his own account, he was what was referred to as a Pharisee of Pharisees. So that would be like, he would be like an all-star Pharisee. And if you're thinking of that context, he would have been a religious leader that everybody looked to. He would have been somebody who was learned. He would have been somebody who was uh, very academic, he was somebody who had power, who had influence, all of the things that you would have ascribed to as a, a, a man of God in that time, that he had all of that in spades. And in Philippians chapter 3, as he's talking to the church there, and he's reminding them a little bit of his religious pedigree, which a few verses after the ones that I read you, he's going to dismiss and say, all of that's garbage. But as he's kind of giving his religious pedigree, he says this, if someone else thinks that they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. So if you think in yourself, you've got it put together, I've got it more put together than you, is how he is saying that. And then he goes into kind of his religious pedigree, that he was circumcised on the eighth day, that would have been uh, falling in line with what was required under the law, that he was part of the people of Israel, so he was part of the people who were chosen by God, that he was of the tribe of Benjamin, which would have had a special place among the people. So he would have been of the best of the people of the people in a sense, that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Nobody was more Hebrew-y than him. 
And that in regard to the law, that if you were going to pull out the Old Testament scriptures and you were going to start going through the the do's and don'ts, that he understood all of that, that he was zealous to the point that he was persecuting the church, the church being those who were Christ followers at that point, a word that wasn't used of the population of Jews or other types of believing systems but that he was persecuting the one thing that looked to be, in his mind, opposing the things of God, that he persecuted it with zeal, with fervor. He put all of his effort into it. And that as for righteousness based on the law, not only did he know all the do's and don'ts, he didn't do any of the don'ts and did all the do's. That he would say that he was faultless in that. He was devotedly and zealously religious, pious. He loved God. And he was lost. You know, he didn't even know it. God's plan of redemption that he knew all the verses of, the move of God in human history that he knew all the examples of, He wasn't seeing it happen in his time and in his place because he was lost. In Acts chapter 22, he's in a place where he's giving kind of the whole of his testimony and he's doing it on trial in front of those who are bringing scrutiny. And in Acts chapter 22, you can read that chapter on your own later, he begins to go through his pedigree again and he says, I was a Jew born in Tarsus, but I was brought up in Jerusalem. I I studied under Gamaliel, who was a really famous rabbi, thoroughly trained in the law. I was zealous for God. More than any of you today is what he said to the audience there. And then he goes into how far he took it. He said this, I persecuted the followers of the way to their death. I arrested both men and women and I threw them into prison. As all of the high priests and all of the council can testify to its truth, I even got letters from these leaders to go to Damascus, and I went there to bring these people, these followers of Jesus, as prisoners back to Jerusalem. Paul was very, very religious, but he was very, very lost. He was very earnest in his desire to love and to please God, but he did not know how to do it. And the greatest irony of this is that as he would declare that I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees and a Hebrew of Hebrews, he was actively doing more to resist the move of God in his own place than anybody else was. He was actively working against the plan of God for salvation, and he was actively resisting the plans and purposes that God had for his life. But suddenly, in Acts chapter 9, verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly, everybody say suddenly. 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 There's so many times in the New Testament that suddenly comes up. Sometimes it's suddenly there was a storm. We see Jesus calm that one. 
The most frequently in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when it says suddenly there's an angel or a group of angels that appear, suddenly the message of God comes into that moment. The other places that you see this in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, is suddenly Jesus was in their midst. Suddenly, God's going to move. And so suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. In Acts chapter 9, verse 3 and 4, suddenly Paul meets Jesus. This was not something he had planned. It wasn't something he was expecting. He certainly wasn't pursuing it. His heart wasn't even really prepared for it. In fact, he's a little bit confused because in his mind, he's not persecuting Jesus. Jesus is dead and made up. I'm persecuting those who are purveyors of a lie, of a false resurrection that are looking to somehow tear down the true worship of Yahweh. Everything in his framework and his understanding would have said that this would not be a possibility. But he encounters Jesus and Jesus speaks and he responds and he is never, ever the same. Never the same. And let me give you three things that happen here. Real briefly, you can write these down if you're a note taker. You can refer back to these later during the week. You re-listen to the message. But there's three things that happens when you encounter Jesus. And it's not the only three, so it's not an exhaustive list. It's not a check mark. But you see this here. Number one is that when... Jesus interrupts your story, every, everything changes. Like e everything changes. Like his paradigm, his worldview, his understanding of his place in history, the direction of his zeal, the purpose of his life, everything changes for Paul in this moment when he meets Jesus. He didn't hear of Jesus, he met Jesus. He had already resisted the stories. He had already countered the movement. But when you meet Jesus, then you, you can't stay the same. And if you read through the rest of the Acts chapter 9 narrative, what's really interesting is he's on his way to Damascus to persecute, and he ends up getting there and he starts preaching because he is not the same. And it's such a curiosity to everybody. They had heard that he was coming, and now all of a sudden he's street witnessing and he's winning people to the way that he was supposed to come and do away with, and everybody's scratching their heads saying, hey, wait a minute, isn't this the same guy? See, when you meet Jesus, you hear that a lot. Well, wait a minute, isn't that the same guy? Whoa, 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 isn't that... Isn't that that lady? It causes some curiosity for some people. Some of your guys' stories are wild. Like, on, like, those are my favorite testimonies. My favorite testimonies is when you sit with somebody and they talk to you about who they were before they met Jesus, and you're listening to them say that that's true about them, and you're like, bro, I don't believe that. 
Like that you can't, like it does not compute. You have to take their word for it that they were so different than who they are in Christ right now because he's made such a dramatic difference. And that's true of each of you, whether you've walked into the fullness of what that looks like or not. If you've met Jesus, man, you, you are not the same. And even if you try to go back to where you were, like it's not going to be the same. He'll constantly be pulling you into this new place, into this new identity. And Paul has that type of experience with him. The second thing is everything changes when you clearly hear Jesus speak. See, for Paul, he's just going on his mission. And he's got all the influence. He's got all the backing of Jerusalem. And he's going for it. And then he encounters Jesus but then he hears him clearly speak. And here's the thing that's so interesting about Paul. Up to this point, he knew the word of God. He knew the Old Testament scriptures inside and out. He knew them backwards and forward. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He studied under the premier rabbi. He knew the word of God, but he had never heard the voice of God. And when Jesus spoke, everything changed. I'm Jesus. You're persecuting me. You're on the wrong side. (laughs) Get up. Go into the town. Do what you're told. That's the streamlined version. One of the things that I often ask, if you've been somebody who has, has spent any time with me uh, in, a, in a pastoral conversation, she says, hey, pastor, I've got to unpack this, or I've got this decision to make, or I'm facing this difficulty. You'll, you'll hear me ask this. I'll, I'll give you verses that you can count on. I'll give you my uh, sage wisdom and advice for what it is. I'll hold your hand and I will love you and I will coach you and I will shepherd you as best I can, but you will always hear me ask you this question, what has God spoken to you? What has God spoken to you? Because if you can be either reminded of what he said or turn your ear to hear what he is speaking to you now, you actually don't need me as much as you think that you do. You need to hear from God. And if you can hear from God, if you can hear the Lord speak to you through his word, through his people, and directly by his spirit, when you hear the word of God, your feet are planted and you are unmoving in your faith. But if you are trying to hear from God by just hearing my advice, you will always waver a little bit. You're borrowing the faith of another. It's always diluted secondhand. But when Jesus speaks to you, Your life changes. And the third thing, this goes with kind of these concepts, these ideas. Number one is when Jesus interrupts our story that we are left changed. We can't remain the way that we are. And that when we hear the voice of the Lord, everything about our life begins to change. It begins to get aligned and shaped by that direction, by that directive, by that correction, by that truth. But the third thing is this, and you see this in Paul as well, everything changes when you choose to respond in obedience. 
when you agree with the word of the Lord and you take a step of faith that says, I'm going to align the activity of my life with this, everything changes at that point. Jesus speaks to Saul, Paul, and he says, hey, you're persecuting me. Get up, go into town, and do what you're told to do. And here's what Paul does. Gets up, goes into town, does what he's told to do. Now, he could have got up and said, nuts to this. And in fact, he might have been even tempted to do so because what Scripture tells us is that it was a blinding light that he's like hit with. He falls on the ground. And that after he has this conversation with somebody that nobody else sees or hears, that he gets up and he's blind. Like, I don't know how you would uh, deal with that type of an encounter, right? Some of us are like, man, I just wish I could see Jesus face to face, right? If you went into your, like, your prayer closet today and you were praying all crazy, and then Jesus was like, yo, here I am, and you're like, wow, that's great. And then you came out of the prayer closet, but you couldn't see anything. Like, like, how would you respond? Like, like, what would that do to your faith? Like, Paul is getting deconstructed and reconstructed in a suddenly moment. But he gets up and it says that he has his companions lead him into the town. He fasts for three days. God speaks to another man who comes and prays for him and he is healed in Jesus' name, receives the Spirit of God, and he is out preaching the next day. Because suddenly, Jesus was a part of his story. Suddenly, Jesus wasn't somebody that he had just heard about or thought some things about. Jesus wasn't just a divergent timeline or a different story that he was going to have to kind of get rid of. Like, Jesus interrupted his life in a very real and personal way, and he was never the same. He heard the Lord speak, and he responded in obedience And if you read the rest of Acts chapter 9, you can read Acts 22. He talks a little bit about this. And then you could just go into the letters that Paul writes in the rest of the New Testament. Paul immediately begins to share his faith. He immediately begins to win people to Christ. It's funny, all those Old Testament scriptures that he knew so well that he couldn't actually use to lead himself to Jesus. Once he met Jesus, he used all of those things to get people to Jesus. Even the parts of his own story that were the biggest hindrance to his faith, he was able to redeem and lead others to faith as a result of those being part of his story. That's what God does. He redeems our stories. He, he, even the parts of our backstory that is broken, he brings wholeness and newness, and it becomes a benefit to others. He uses it for his kingdom. Saul begins to win people to Christ. He becomes a missionary and a church planner. If you're a scripture student, you would know that he wrote 13 of the 27 New Testament books that we have in the canon. So almost half the books in the New Testament are written by him. And uh, really more than that, if you're leveraging the amount or how big the books are weighed against one another. He gives the rest of his life to this message of salvation, the one thing that he felt like he was going to have to get rid of. He gives the rest of his life to it, and then he gave his life for it as he was martyred at the end. And all of that got set in motion by a suddenly. 
my suddenly was a phone call. My suddenly was a phone call. I had gone through my freshman year of college, and I had church Ben who was hurt, college Ben who was grinding it out, and lost Ben that was getting further and further away from the things of God. All part of my life at the same time, all part of my person. And then suddenly, I got a phone call. Our youth pastor from our church had taken a number of high schoolers up to camp. And while he was up there, he found out that the camp was short some leaders. And he suggested that I come up and help. Church Ben would have been stoked. College Ben would have been indifferent. Lost Ben would have been like, hmm, not sure I want to do that. But that suddenly was a moment, and it was not my youth pastor who was calling me to engagement. It was the Lord. It was a, it was a divine moment. And I said yes to that. And I packed my truck. It was the day that camp had already started, and I drove up the hill into the mountains. And when I got there, I was given a group of misfits. The 11, 12, 13 high school boys that were put under my charge and care, none of them were really from the same church. Like they were leftovers. They were kids that came to camp with no youth pastor and nobody else from their church. There were kids that came to camp where they had a number of girls and a cabin counselor but didn't have anybody for them. Like they were, they were all leftovers and they, we were like the island of misfit toys and that's how I felt. It's a good description of how lost I felt. And the Lord put us all together And he did something that week. I think as much in them as in me, but I was never the same. Through those five days of being responsible to care for those who were hurt and wounded and broken themselves, I found the Lord dealing with some of that stuff in me. The places where I was like two-faced and split personality and I was loving the Lord with all of my heart and I was walking contrary to that in other areas of my life, he helped me wrestle out those things and resolve those things. And I can tell you that the things that lost Ben was careening towards, the things that I was allowing in my life and that I was engaging in, all of those things stopped that week. And I came down and I was never same. I knew who I was to the best degree you can when you're 18 or 19. But I knew what the Lord was calling me to do. I heard his voice very clearly and it set a new trajectory for my life. Lost Ben was found. College Ben had purpose. And after the following year, when I finished that AA in my undergraduate, I went to Bible college, and that set the course of the rest of my life. But it was suddenly, it was a phone call. 
And I said yes. And I took a step to respond. And the Lord met me in that place and he led me into a different future than would have been written had I stayed in one of those other storylines. I'm going to ask you to take a moment. I just want you to close your eyes. The worship team is going to join me up here. I'd like you to stay seated. And with your eyes closed right now, I, just, I want you to go back to the suddenly that you had at the beginning. Maybe the last suddenly that you remember in your life is one that led you towards calamity. Maybe it's still a reminder of a loss or a grief or a really hard season that you've been through or that you are currently enduring. As suddenly as that happens, as suddenly that that is set in motion in your life, just as suddenly, Jesus can change it. Just as suddenly, there's opportunity to encounter the Lord, to hear his voice, to respond with a step of faith and obedience. Lord, as we quiet our hearts for this moment, give us ears that are attentive to your spirit. Church family, I just want you to consider where are you in need of a divine interruption? Where, where do you need Jesus to suddenly show himself? Where do you need the spirit of God to suddenly move? Where do you need to hear the voice of God suddenly speak? In what area of your life are you maybe a little lost or disillusioned or losing hope? In what area of your life are you kind of stepping back and forth between storylines, trying to figure out really who you're going to be and how that's going to fit you? Where might your story look a little bit like Paul's? where you're striving really religiously for God, that you're really trying to please Him with all of your heart, but you're drifting relationally from Him. Paul was trying to do all of the right things. He had good intentions, but he was really far from God's design for his life. Lord, we take this moment and we invite you to suddenly become present in a very new and real way. Lord, that for those who feel a little lost today, that there would be a sudden realization that you know where they are, that you're aware of their circumstance and that you're present in that. They may not know where they are or where they're going and they may be wrestling with who they are and who they're to become. But Lord, they're not lost from your sight or from your purpose or from your presence. Help them to suddenly see your face. Help them to suddenly hear your voice. Help them to suddenly respond in faith and obedience. Lord, we invite those sudden moments in this moment that we set aside in reserve, but we invite you 
to do that this week, to do that in our lives, Lord, to suddenly disrupt and bring about your presence and opportunity for us to move in faith and obedience, to step in the fullness of the things that you have for us. And Lord, we invite you to use us to be parts of those moments and others, that suddenly we would be moved by your spirit to be the hands and feet of Jesus, that suddenly we would be moved by your spirit to be the resource of generosity, that suddenly we would be moved by your spirit to share the hope that is ours in Christ. Lord, that as we are reminded of our encounters with you, that we would not leave those attempting to remain the same, but that we would allow you to change us to craft and write our story. And with each sudden opportunity of partnering with you, that we would say yes and never be the same as a result of that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church family, if you would go ahead and stand. We are going to close in just a moment, but I want to give you a few action steps for this week. You can snap a picture of this with your smartphone or your tablet, or you can catch these online or on Facebook. Number one is begin to invite a divine disruption in your story. Begin to ask the Lord to show up in unexpected ways. Number two, begin to look for moments of suddenly as Jesus would become present. So begin to have eyes to see where he's moving in your life. And then number three, as you are aware of those, respond in obedience to his instruction and encourage others to do that as well.